Episode 4 of The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, Chapters 9 through 13. This reading is presented with permission from Scholastic. Chapter 9 And so Edward Tulane became Susanna. Nellie sewed several outfits for him, a pink dress with ruffles for special occasions, a simple shift fashioned out of a flower-covered cloth for everyday use, and a long white gown made of cotton for Edward to sleep in. In addition, she remade his ears stripping them of a few pieces of fur that remained and designed him a new pair. Oh, she told him when she was done, you look lovely. He was horrified at first. He was, after all, a boy rabbit. He did not want to be dressed as a girl. And the outfits, even the special occasion dress, were so simple, so plain. They lacked the elegance and artistry of his real clothes. But then Edward remembered lying on the ocean floor, the muck in his face, the star so far away, and he said to himself, what difference does it make really? Wearing a dress won't hurt me. Besides, life in the little greenhouse with the fisherman and his wife was sweet. Nellie loved to bake, and so she spent her day in the kitchen. She put Edward on the counter and leaned him up against the flower canister and arranged his dress around his knees. She bent his ears so that he could hear well. And then she set to work, kneading dough for bread, rolling out dough for cookies and pies. The kitchen soon smelled with the smell of baking bread with the sweet smells of cinnamon and sugar and cloves, windows steamed up. And while Nellie worked, she talked. She told Edward about her children, her daughter Lolly, who was a secretary, and her boys, Ralph, who was in the army, and Raymond, who had died of pneumonia when he was only five years old. He drowned inside himself, said Nellie. It's a horrible, terrible thing, the worst thing, to watch somebody you love die right in front of you and not be able to do nothing about it. I dream about him most nights. Nellie wiped at her tears with the back of her hand. She smiled at Edward. I suppose you think I'm daft talking to a toy. But it seems to me that you're listening, Susanna. And Edward was surprised to discover that he was listening. Before, when Abilene talked to him, everything had seemed so boring, so pointless. But now, the stories Nellie had told him as as most important thing in the world. And he listened as if his life depended on what she said. It made him wonder if some of the muck in the ocean floor had gotten inside his china head and damaged him somehow. 
In the evening, Lawrence came home from the sea, and there was dinner, and Edward sat at the table with the fisherman and his wife. He sat in an old wooden high chair. And while at first he was mortified, a high chair, after all, was a chair designed for babies, not an elegant rabbit, he soon became used to it. He liked being up high, looking out over the table instead of staring at the tablecloth as he had at the Tulane household. He liked feeling like a part of things. Every night after dinner, Lawrence said that he thought he would go out and get some fresh air and that maybe Susanna would like to come with him. He placed Edward on his shoulder as he had that first night when he walked him through town, bringing him home to Nellie. They went outside and Lawrence lit his pipe and held Edward there on his shoulder. And, and, and if the night was clear, Lawrence said the names of the constellations one at a time. Andromedia, Pegasus, pointing at them with the stem of his pipe. Edward loved looking up at the stars and he loved the sounds of the constellation names. They were sweet in his ears. Sometimes though, staring up at the night sky, Edward remembered Pellegrina, saw again her dark and glowing eyes and the chill would go through him. Warthogs, he would think, witches. But Nellie, before she put him to bed each night, sang Edward a lullaby, a song about a mockingbird that did not sing and a diamond ring that would not shine. And the sound of Nellie's voice soothed the rabbit and he forgot about Pellegrina. Life for a very long time was sweet. And then Lawrence and Nellie's daughter came for a visit. Chapter 10 Lolly was a lumpy woman who spoke too loudly and who wore too much lipstick. She entered the house and immediately spotted Edward sitting on the living room couch. What's this? she said. She put down her suitcase and picked Edward up by one foot. She held him upside down. That's Susanna, said Nellie. Susanna, shouted Lolly. She gave Edward a shake. His dress was up over his head and he could see nothing. Already he had formed a deep and abiding hatred for Lolly. Your father found her, said Nellie. She came up in a net and she didn't have no clothes on to her, so I made her some dresses. Have you gone skivvy? shouted Lolly. Rabbits don't need clothes. Well, said Nellie, her voice shook. This one seemed to. Lolly tossed Edward back on the couch. He landed face down with his arms over his head and his dress still over his face, and he stayed that way through dinner. Why have you got out that old high chair? shouted Lolly. Oh, don't pay it no mind 
said Nellie. Your father was just gluing on a missing piece, wasn't you, Lawrence? That's right, said Lawrence, without looking at her as plate. Of course, after dinner, Edward did not go outside and stand beneath the stars to have a smoke with Lawrence. And Nellie, for the first time since Edward had been with her, did not sing him a lullaby. In fact, Edward was ignored and forgotten about. The next morning, when Lolly picked him up again and pulled his dress down away from his face and stared him in the eye. Got the old folks bewitched, don't you? said Lolly. I heard the talk in the town that they've been treating you like a rabbit child. Edward stared back at Lolly. Her lipstick was a bright and bloody red. He felt a cold breeze blow through the room. Was a door open somewhere? Well, you don't fool me, she said. She gave him a shake. We'll be taking a trip together, you and me. Holding Edward by the ears, Lolly marched into the kitchen and shoved him face down in the garbage can. Ma, shouted Lolly. I'm taking the truck. I'm gonna head out and do some errands. Oh, came Nellie's tremulous voice. That's wonderful, dear. Goodbye, then. Goodbye, thought Edward, as Lolly hauled the garbage can out to the truck. Goodbye, Nellie called again, louder this time. Edward felt a sharp pain somewhere deep inside his china chest. For the first time, his heart called out to him. It said two words. Nellie, Lawrence. Chapter 11. Edward ended up at the dump. He lay on top of orange peels, coffee grounds, rancid bacon, and rubber tires. The first night, he was on top of the garbage heap, and so he was able to look up at the stars and find comfort in their light. In the morning, a short man came climbing through the trash and rubble. He stopped when he was standing on top of the highest pile. He put his hands under his armpits and flapped his elbows. The man crowed loudly. He shouted, Who am I? I'm Ernest. Ernest, who is king of the world. How can I be king of the world? Because I am king of garbage. And garbage is what the world is made of. Ha ha ha. Therefore, I am Ernest. Ernest, who is king of the world. And he crowed again. Edwards was inclined to agree with Ernest's assessment of the world being made of garbage, especially after his second day at the dump when a load of trash was being deposited directly on top of him. He lay there, buried alive. He could not see the sky. He could not see the stars. He could see nothing. 
what kept Edward going? What gave him hope? Was thinking of how he would find Lolly and exact his revenge? He would pick her up by her ears. He would bury her under a mountain of trash. After almost 40 days and nights had passed, weight and the smell of the garbage above and below him clotted Edward's thoughts. And soon, he gave up thinking about revenge and gave in to despair. It was worse, much worse than being buried at sea. It was worse because Edward was a different rabbit now. He couldn't say how he was different. He just knew that he was. He remembered again Pellegrina's story about the princess who had been lo- who had loved nobody. The witch turned her into a warthog because she loved nobody. He understood that now. He heard Pellegrina say, You disappoint me. Why? He asked her. Why do I disappoint you? But he knew the answer to that question, too. It was because he had not loved Abilene enough. And now she was gone from him, and he would never be able to make it right. And Nellie and Lawrence were gone, too. He missed them terribly. He wanted to be with them. Robert wondered if that was love. Day after day passed and Edward was aware of time passing only because every morning he could hear Ernest performing his dawn ritual. Cacking and crowing about being king of the world. On his 180th day at the dump, salvation arrived for Edward in the most unusual form. Garbage around him shifted, and the rabbit heard the sniffing and panting of a dog. Then came the frenzied sound of digging. The garbage shifted again, and suddenly, miraculously, the beautiful buttery light late afternoon shone on Edward's face. Chapter 12 Edward did not have much time to savor the light, for the dog suddenly appeared above him, dark and shaggy, blocking his view. Edward was pulled out of the garbage by his ears, dropped and then picked up again, this time around the middle, and shaken back and forth with a great deal of ferocity. The little dog growled deep in his throat and then dropped Edward again and looked him in the eye. Edward stared back. Hey, get out of here, you dog. It was Ernest, king of garbage, and therefore king of the world. The dog grabbed Edward by his pink dress and took off running. That's mine, that's mine, all garbage is mine, Ernest shouted. You come back here. The little dog did not stop. The sun was shining and Edward felt exhilarated who, having known him before, would have thought that he could be so happy now, 
crusted over with garbage, wearing a dress held in the slobbery mouth of a dog and being chased by a madman. But he was happy. The dog ran and ran until they reached a railroad track. They crossed over the tracks and there underneath a scraggly tree in a circle of bushes, Edward was dropped in front of a large pair of feet. The dog began to bark. Edward looked up and saw that the feet were attached to an enormous man with a long, dark beard. What's this, Lucy? said the man. He bent and picked up Edward. He held him firmly around the middle. Lucy, said the man, I know how much you enjoy rabbit pie. Lucy barked. Yes, yes, I know. Rabbit pie is a true delay, one of the pleasures of our existence. Lucy let out a hopeful yip. And what we have here, what you have so graciously delivered to me, is definitely a rabbit. But the best chef in the world would be hard-pressed to make him into a pie. Lucy growled. This rabbit's made of china, girl. The man held Edward closer to him. They looked each other in the eye. You're made of china, aren't you, Malone? Gave Edward a playful shake. You are some child's toy, am I right? You have been separated somehow from the child who loves you. Edward again felt the sharp pain in his chest. He thought of Abilene. He saw the path leading up to the house on Egypt Street. He saw the dust descending and Abilene running towards him. Yes, Abilene had loved him. So, Malone, said the man, cleared his throat, you are lost. That's my guess. Well, Lucy and I are lost too. The sound of her name, Lucy let out another yip. Perhaps, said the man, you would like to be lost with us. I have found it much more agreeable to be lost with others. My name is Bull. Lucy, as you may have surmised, is my dog. Would you care to join us? Bull waited for a moment, staring at Edward, and then with his hand still firmly around Edward's waist, the man reached one enormous finger up and touched Edward's head from behind. He pushed it. So it looked as if Edward were nodding his head in agreement. Hey, look, Lucy, he's saying yes, said Bull. Maloon has agreed to travel with us. Isn't that swell? Lucy danced around Bull's feet, wagging her tail and barking. And so it was that Edward took to the road with a hobo and his dog. Chapter 13. They traveled on foot. They traveled in empty rail cards. They were always on the move. But in truth, said Bull, we are going nowhere. That, my friend, is the irony of our constant movement. 
Edward rode in Bull's bedroll, slung over Bull's shoulder, with only his head and his ears sticking out. Bull was always careful to position the rabbit so that he was not looking down or up, but was instead forever looking behind them at the road they had just traveled. At night, they slept on the ground under the stars. Lucy, after her initial disappointment about Edward being unfit for consumption, took to a liking to him and slept curled up beside him. Sometimes she even rested her muzzle on on his china stomach and then the noises she made in her sleep, whimpering and growling and chuffing, resonated inside Edward's body. To his surprise, he began to feel a deep tenderness for this dog. During the night, while Bull and Lucy slept, Edward, with his ever open eyes, stared up at the constellations. He said their names, and then he said the names of the people who loved him. He started with Abilene, and then went to Nellie and Lawrence, and from there to Bull and Lucy, and then he ended again with Abilene. Abilene, Nellie, Lawrence, Bull, Lucy, Abilene. See, Edward told Pellegrina, I am not like the princess. I know about love. There were times, too, when Bull and Lucy gathered around a campfire with other tramps. Bull was a good storyteller and an even better singer. Sing for us, Bull, the men shouted. Bull sat with Lucy leaning against his leg and Edward balanced on his right knee. He sang from somewhere deep inside himself. Just as Edward could feel Lucy's whimpers and growls resonate through his body at night, he could also feel the deep, sad sound of Bull's songs move through him. Edward loved it when Bull sang. And he was grateful to Bull too, for sensing that a dress was not the right kind of clothing for Edward. Malone, said Bull one night, not my desire to offend you or to comment negatively on your choice of garb. But I'm forced to tell you that you stick out like a sore thumb in that princess dress. And also, again, no wish to offend you, the dress has seen better days. Nellie's beautiful dress had not fared well at the dump or in its subsequent ramblings with Bull and Lucy. It was so torn and dirty and full of holes barely resembled a dress anymore. I have a solution, said Bull, and I hope that it meets with your approval. He took his own knit stocking cap and he cut a big hole in the top of it and two small holes in the side of it, and then he took off Edward's dress. Look away, Lucy, he said to the dog. Let's not embarrass Malone by staring at his nakedness. Bull slid the hat over Edward's head and pulled it down and poked his arms through the smaller holes. There you go, he said to Edward. Now you just need some pants. The pants Bull made himself 
cutting up several red handkerchiefs and sewing them together so that they formed a makeshift covering for Edward's long legs. Now you have the proper outlaw look, said Bull, standing back to admire his work. Now you look like a rabbit on the run.